Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. It's good to be back. <clears throat> I'm not 100%, so pray for me. But uh, it's good to be here. I thank Pastor Clint for filling in last week, doing a good job and talking about what God thinks when he thinks about you. So we've been trying to do a four-part series on me and my big mouth, and it's taken us about seven weeks to get there, but that's uh, uh, okay, because that means we've been thinking about it for seven weeks. Uh, today's topic is right where you want them. That'll make sense in a few minutes. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but this series has been kind of tough on me. Um, it's, as preachers, it's easy for us to talk about stuff that doesn't affect us, but this one affects me big time. And a couple of weeks ago, I was holding my tongue, doing a pretty good job, and then my, I, evidently I rolled my eyes, speaking with my wife. And so I got in trouble anyway. So uh, <clears throat> there's multifaceted you know, parts to this. <clears throat> but uh, controlling our tongue is a big deal. We've been using a phrase, and most of you have got it down pretty good by now. Quick to what? And slow to what? Slow to speak. Now, not all of life is like this, but this is a win-win situation. When I'm quick to listen and slow to speak, you win and I win. Whoever I'm in a relationship with, whoever I'm in a conversation with. <clears throat> so this is pretty, pretty cool. We also talked about how powerful the tongue was, or is, and so we need to be very careful with it. We can do good things with it, or we can do uh, destructive things with it. We also talked about uh, the concept of the words coming out of our mouth being stinky. In our house, it would be garlic breath. But anyway, uh, stinky words uh, rather than words that build up. And we use this uh, analogy, the build up. <clears throat> uh, and we said you can't be a builder if you're bitter. Even though we were trying to control our words, things come out, attitudes come out, and we wonder, where did that come from? Well, often it's from, from bitterness we haven't dealt with. Um, and the problem with that is people that don't deserve it, suffer for our lack of <clears throat> uh, forgiveness. And so the people that maybe didn't deserve it, we need to forgive in the past. So the people in the present who do deserve it can get kindness from us. Now, <clears throat> we're going to try and elaborate a little bit on that concept of that potential bitterness in our lives. <clears throat> and we have an expression in our culture that goes like this. What goes around comes around. And most of us understand that. I think the best example probably is with parents with children. And the old comedian says, you know, kids, I mean, parents, be careful how you treat your kids because one day they're going to decide what nursing home you get to be put in. So, you know, you have the authority when they're younger. When they get older, they, they have the authority. It could be, be in a, uh, an ex-marriage relationship. It could be in a, uh, a sibling relationship. We're going to see it as we look at Scripture today. Um, I'm the oldest of five. So that made me, you know, the most powerful, I guess, of the five, five of us. But one day I'm going to be the oldest of us old folks. And then maybe somebody else will be making decisions for me. Well, it boils down to this. <clears throat> the person that hurts you sometime in the past, sometime in the future, may need your help. And what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? It's that place. So we're going to go way back to the beginning of the Bible, about, I don't know, 3,500 years ago. And God comes to a guy by the name of Abraham, and he says, uh, Abram, and he says, uh, uh, I'm going to choose you to be a father of a great nation that's going to uh, tell the world about me, uh, the one true living God. 
gets really complicated. He doesn't have any sons. Eventually winds up with two sons. They both become fathers of great nations. But then a couple generations go by, and we get to a guy named Jacob, and uh, he has 12 kids by four different women, which is kind of another complication. Um, so this is the potential for at least a tribe, if not a nation. And so we're going to look at one of these children because he is pivotal in the, the, the op option or uh, ability for God to literally make a great nation out of the Israelites and to fulfill his promise and bring the Messiah, our Savior, uh, through, that, through that line. <clears throat> so, Jacob's got 12 kids. Uh, I think it's his, uh, two of these children are by his favorite wife. Kind of a weird phrase, right? Favorite wife. Consequently, Joseph, the first of these children, is his favorite. Now, parents, if you've got one more kid, then one, more than one kid, as I do, never play favorites, right? <clears throat> and so, as you read the scripture, his brothers hate, the ten oldest brothers hate J Joseph. He has this dream, he tells them about them bowing down to them. That's kind of disturbing. But if you read it carefully, it says the reason that his brothers really hated him was because his father had chosen him as his favorite and given him this special coat or, or robe to wear. <clears throat> so one day, God says to, I mean, excuse me, Jacob says to Joseph, go out and check on your brothers out in the field, your older brothers. So he does. He eventually tracks them down. And when, he, when the brothers see him coming, they basically had enough. Now, Joseph is probably about 17 at this point. And they come up with this scheme. Well, let's just get rid of him. And get rid of this big headache, get rid of this, rid of this problem. And they're going to kill him. Uh... Eventually, my brother talks him into throwing him into a well, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. <clears throat> so as they were sitting down to eat, so the brothers, <laughs> yes, threw their younger brother into this well, and they just sat down to have a meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelites, traders, taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resins from Gilead down to Egypt. So they're passing through this area. They're headed toward Egypt. Uh, it's a caravan. They're traders. And uh, the brothers come up with this backup plan, if you will. <clears throat> and uh, so we'll pick up, continue reading the story. Here's their backup plan. Judah says to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We have to come up with this, uh, have to cover up the crime instead of hurting him. Let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. All right, so we'll have to cover up the crime. Well, literally, they just still had to cover up the crime. <clears throat> um, <coughs> excuse me. I guess there's an improvement not over being killed, but you're still being sold into slavery. Not a very nice way to treat your brothers. <clears throat> After all, he is our brother. <laughs> yeah, he is our brother. Yeah, he's got the same dad, right? Our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. <clears throat> now, we've got to imagine this guy is 17. He's been brought up in a wealthy home as the favorite son. So you can imagine what his life had been like. <clears throat> All of a sudden, he almost got killed, but he got sold into slavery. So his future is it's gone, as far as he can say. 
He doesn't know how long he's going to live, where he's going to live, what he's going to be doing. He just knows he's going to be a slave. Probably never see his father, never see his family again. Pretty drastic situation to be in. <clears throat> now, I, know, I want to notice what the author writing this down says next. <clears throat> the Lord was with Joseph. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. If the Lord was with Joseph, he wouldn't wind up being hated by his brothers. He wouldn't be wound up sold into slavery. He wouldn't wind up living in a foreign country, far from home and far from family, would he? That's the way most of us think. The Lord was with Joseph, so he exceeded in everything he did. He served in the home of his Egyptian master. So he got sold to an Egyptian master. We know his name is Potiphar, if you grew up in church, you know the story. And so... We get this theme that bad things happen to Joseph, but God is still with him. And you and I, all of us have to judge when, quote, unquote, bad things happen to us. Life doesn't go like we want. Is God still with us? And if so, do we live as if God is still with us? So Joseph evidently is a talented guy, at least with the administration. And so he comes up the ranks and eventually is a head of Potiphar's household. <clears throat> Now, we have to remember, years go by. This isn't, you're, it, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, 10 seconds to read it. But years have gone by. So we don't know if he's eight, uh, 20, 21, 22 years old. And now he's the head of Potiphar's household. Now, the Bible also tells us at this point, he catches not just Potiphar's eye, but Potiphar's wife's eye. And she finds him attractive. And she says, Come to bed with me. Now, something we probably miss in this story is this. What is one word a slave never uses? No. That's not in your vocabulary. Somebody owns you and tells you what to do. You don't say no. But if you read the story repeatedly, Joseph says no to her and gets away with it evidently. Well, one day, uh, this lady traps him in, in the house alone uh, grabs Joseph, uh, grabs his coat anyway, or part of his garment. <clears throat> he slips out of the garment and runs out. Well, I'm sure she was embarrassed, uh, but among other things, she wanted to get back at Joseph, we would say. And so she cries, rape, rape. <clears throat> but before that happens, um, let me read this next text to you. Uh, this is what he says to her says to her, no one here has more authority than I do. He, meaning Potiphar, has held nothing back from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? Now, probably to her it wasn't wicked, but to him it was a wicked thing. And it would be a great sin against God. You mean, what God, Joseph? This God that lets you get sold into slavery when you didn't deserve it because your brothers hated you? You're still talking about and concerned about this relationship with this God? <clears throat> So, Potiphar has no option but to punish Joseph. Now, I'm always amazed that he's not executed at this point in the story. But God was with him, right? And so he's not executed, he's thrown into prison. Again, we don't know how old he is, 22, 33 years, 23 years of age. He's gone from being the favorite of his dad in a rich family to being a slave, and now he's a prisoner. As far as he can tell, that's where he's going to spend the, the rest of his life. But then we get back to our theme. What is our theme? 
But the Lord, next verse, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. If God is with you, you don't wind up in prison unjustly, do you? That's the way most of us would think. That's most of our theology. Things like this don't happen when we do what's right. <clears throat> and then it says it showed him, meaning God showed him his faithful love. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Again, I'm in prison unjustly. How is God showing his faithful love to me? The Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. So again, he has skills. He ran a household. Now he's going to begin running a prison. <clears throat> again, he's still in prison, but he's got the favor of the prison warden, and so now he's got some kind of perks, at least some authority. <clears throat> so I'm going to stop the story, stop the story at this point. <coughs> Put this on your screen. Just to remind you, bad things have been happening to good people for a long time. Now, by good people, I don't mean perfect people. There's no good people. But people that try and do the right thing, still bad. Or the bad things happen to them. And probably we, everyone here has experienced that. So again, years go by. And he's in prison. <clears throat> Joseph is. And at this point, we may guess he's about 28 years old. So from 17 to 28, he's been in slavery or in prison. Anyway, two of the other prisoners... One um, cupbearer to the king and the other a beggar for the king had been thrown into prison. And they've been there for a while and eventually they had this dream and they look really disturbed the next morning and so Joseph sees this and he says, hey, what seems to be the problem? Well, we had this dream, we can't understand it and it's kind of got us upset. He said, well, let me, give me a try. Let me, let me see <clears throat> if I can't help you. So the cupbearer tells him this, Tells him his dream, and he says, ah, I know what that means. It means in three days, it's going to be Pharaoh's birthday. You're going to be restored. He said, when you're restored, don't forget me. I don't deserve to be here. Help me get me out. He says, sure. So at this point, the baker here says, that's a pretty good interpretation. Here was my dream. Now, if I'm Joseph, I'm not giving him the interpretation. I might say, well, I'm not quite sure what that means. But he doesn't. He tells him, yep, three days from now, you're going to be executed. And sure enough, he is. So now, <clears throat> Joseph has hope, right? I've just interpreted this dream for the cupbearer. He's going to tell the pharaoh, I'm going to get out of prison. A couple days go by, a couple weeks go by, a couple months go by. Nothing. I don't know where along that line, if you're Joseph, you give up. And maybe like Joseph, somebody's forgotten you somewhere along the line. It's not, it doesn't feel good to be forgotten, does it? Well, two years go by. This time, Joseph's about 30 years of age. Pharaoh has a dream, has two dreams, and uh, <clears throat> doesn't know what they mean. And at this point, the cupbearer remembers, hey, I know a guy who might be able to tell you what your dream means. He's in the prison. He's a foreigner. But, uh, you know, back then when you, you know, you had your birthday and a couple years ago and you brought me back into the palace, he, he told me about that. So they sent for this Joseph guy. He gets, get him cleaned up. So now he's gone from prison to standing before the most powerful person in the world. <clears throat> 
Um, back to our text here. Pharaoh sent for Joseph and brought him quickly for the prison. Shaved and changed his clothes, went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream last night. No one can tell me what it is. I mean, actually, it's two dreams. But I've heard that you, when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Now, at this point, Joseph's got his way out, right? I had to interpret this quint for the, for the Pharaoh, and I'm going to be in a much better situation. That's not what Joseph says. What does Joseph say? Uh, can't do it. <laughs> I can't interpret you. Sorry. But God, my God, can tell Pharaoh what it means and set you at ease. Now, we kind of miss this, I think, too. Pharaohs consider themselves gods. So, me, Pharaoh, God, don't know the interpretation of this. But there is a God out there, the one true God, Joseph is saying, who can tell you the meaning of your dream. In fact, he's the one that gave you the dream. And he gave it to you twice, so this is a confirmation of what's going to happen. But God can tell Pharaoh what it means and set you at ease. So he tells him. He says, ah, for seven years, the economy's going to boom. Crops are going to be great. <clears throat> Everybody's going to be happy. But then for the next seven years, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be miserable. It's going to be a famine. People are going to starve and die and, and forget all about those, those wonderful years. Now, that's the interpretation of the dream. But Joseph can't help himself. Maybe it's that administrative skills he has. I don't know what it is. But he said, hey, Pharaoh, let me tell you what you ought to do. Again, slave, prisoner, most powerful person in the world. He says, hey, you ought to tax the people 20% each year for seven years and store up all this grain. And then when the famine comes, you sell it back to him. You get even richer than you are. So that's where he leaves it. So what do you think the Pharaoh says? <clears throat> Next verse, Joseph, suggestions were well received, which is fascinating to me. This is a prisoner, uh, best we can tell, an educated person. Well received. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Now, if you're Pharaoh, if you're the king, if you're considered God with a little G, what's the answer? To any question. Yes, Pharaoh. <laughs> Whatever you think, Pharaoh. You're always right, Pharaoh. Even if this is a guy we didn't know an hour ago and he's a foreigner and spent the last who knows how many years in prison. <clears throat> so then, then he says to Joseph, Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, Clearly, no one else is intelligent or as wise as you. Now, I'm impressed with the Pharaoh at this point. That he was wise enough, maybe humble enough, to accept advice from a, from a nobody. And to realize it. And to more, even more so to acknowledge it comes from God. <clears throat> so the next verse he says to, says to Joseph, okay, you will be in charge. And all the people take orders from you. Only I, Pharaoh, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. 
Prisoner, second most powerful person in the world. How's that happen? Well, <clears throat> dream comes true. Seven years are fantastic. They're great. Everything, everybody's happy. And then the famine hits. And we pick up the story not long into that next uh, seven years because it's not long before the people, they don't have refrigerators and, and cupboards full of food like we do. So it didn't take long before not only the Egyptians, but the people in the surrounding countries, which included Joseph's family, were starving. <clears throat> so we pick up the story. Back in, in Canaan, Jacob heard the grain was available in Egypt. He says to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? <clears throat> I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. This is life and death. So, they take off, go to Egypt. Uh, ten, doesn't let Benjamin, the youngest one, go. <clears throat> and, of course, who would they have to deal with when they get there? Pick up in the next uh, verse 6. Joseph, since Joseph was the governor of all of Egypt in charge of selling the grain to all the people, it was him that the brothers came. And when they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. And some of you know this story. This was the dream he had back when he was 17, remember? <clears throat> now we're guessing he's like 38 years old. It's more than 20 years later. It makes sense they wouldn't recognize him, but he recognizes them. Uh, so it says the next verse. Recognizes his brothers, but he pretends to be a stranger, spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? Oh, we're from Canaan, they replied. We've come to buy food. <clears throat> now, let me ask you a question, and we'll get to it again at the end here. What will you do, what will I do, when we've got the power and the words to determine the destiny of your enemy? Goes around, comes around. You were on the hurting end before. Now you have the power. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with that hurt? Have you dealt with that hurt? Have you forgiven that person? Or you do, has, has it become a root of bitterness and resentment in your life? If you read this story, you don't have time this morning. <clears throat> Joseph puts his brothers to some tests. Now, it seems a little cruel somewhat, but I don't think it was his purpose. I think his purpose was to find out if his brothers had changed, if they'd matured, if they'd grown up, if they became caring people or not, which, if you read the story, seems to be the case, seems to prove to be the case. So after this goes on for a while, <clears throat> Scripture says Joseph can't, he can't, he can't keep quiet any longer. So Joseph could stand it no longer, there are many people in the room. He said to the descendants, all of you out. <clears throat> so he's alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Can you imagine being there? This guy, this Egyptian official, says to you, hey, guess what? I'm your little brother Joseph. That's the way the scripture says it. Hey, I'm Joseph. The first question is, you'd ask him earlier, but is my father still alive? Now, <clears throat> if you're one of the brothers, 
what's your response going to be? I love the scripture because it's so honest. But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Can you imagine the drama? Make a movie, wouldn't it? They were scared to death, tell you the truth, right? But he tells me, no, 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 you don't have to be afraid. I'm the one that has the power of life and death. But I'm the one that's given my life for you. Last 20 years of my life brought me to this place. Just like you and I need to not fear because Jesus gave his life for us, for our eternity. So he sends them home to get their families, including his dad. And they all come and spend the rest of these years in Egypt. Eventually his father dies. They have a funeral. They take him back and bury him in Canaan. Evidently, the brothers were still not too comfortable with this situation. And they come up with this story. They tell Joseph, hey, Dad told us to make sure you treat us nice after he's gone. And then he comes to him, and they throw, next verse, throws him, they throw themselves down before him. He said, we are your slaves. I guess they're thinking being a slave is better than being dead. So let's just volunteer. <clears throat> All right. Here we are. Spare our lives. And then Joseph has these, these wise words to say. He replies, don't be afraid of me. Am I God? Well, kind of. <laughs> You've got the most powerful power of everybody in the world. You can decide our fate. No, I'm not God. I can't can't punish you. I don't have that moral authority even if I have that physical authority. <clears throat> it comes a long statement. It's not on your outline. I apologize for that. Um, but it says this, you will never experience the good that comes from the bad unless you recognize God was with you during the bad and then refuse to play God when things are good. In fact, that's hard to do. And then we get to one of the most amazing statements of faith, I think, in all the Bible. And here's what he says to his, Joseph says to his brothers. <clears throat> you intended to harm me. In fact, you're going to kill me that you spared my life and sold me into slavery. But, God intended it all for good. Who has that kind of faith? You intended to harm me, but God intended for good. You have to make your choices, but God is in control. And he says, he brought me to this position that I should I could save lives of many people, thousands if not tens or hundreds of thousands of people. So we're reminded that when God seems to be silent, he's not still. I love the words of the song that says, when you can't see God's hand, trust his heart. 
the God that sent his son, only son to suffer and die for me, to conquer death and pay for my sins, can I have a relationship with him when I didn't deserve it? Who am I to question anything that might happen in my daily life? So he goes on, he says, no, don't be afraid. <clears throat> I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he assured them by speaking kindly to them. So let me get back to our question then. What will you do when you got the power and the words to determine the destiny of your enemy? What do you do? Somebody at work mistreated you and now you're in authority over them? Maybe an ex-spouse that hurt you and now they're hurting? Sibling? <laughs> and this is in this story. Maybe you had an older sibling. Maybe it was an older sibling that that wasn't nice to you and now they're in need and you have a choice to be nice or not to them. I already talked about parents, parents. <clears throat> Big responsibility raising kids. But one day, most likely, you and I are going to be dependent on them for our well-being. So this is decisions we all have to make. So here's kind of basic options. You got one or two options. Pay them back. Say, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. In fact, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you worse, right? That, isn't that kind of a way we want to get them back? Or we can use it as a stepping stone to pave the way forward. It's about perspective. Where are you going to take your cue from? Take your cue from that person that took something from you, that hurt you, that did something you didn't deserve? Or are you going to take your cue from that one that gave something for you? Jesus Christ, that gave his life, suffered and died, so you and I can have a relationship with God, that our lives could be transformed, that we can not be bitter, even in a situation of someone like Joseph. Your decision, it's mine. Um, <clears throat> Let's pray, and then we'll give you a, kind of a glimpse of where we're going next week. Father God, thank you so much for this amazing story. I think it's a bigger miracle than maybe the David Goliath-type stories. This, this young man, Joseph, would not hold bitterness against his brothers and see your bigger plan and how that plan is more important than our personal well-being. God, I pray for the folks here. All of us are going through different stuff, dealing with different stuff. If we could have the faith, trust, belief of a Joseph, whatever anybody else intends to harm us, God, you can intend it for good. If anyone here has not stepped across that line into faith, except for your son Jesus, we give them the opportunity now just to say that prayer. Yes, God, I accept your gift. I receive your forgiveness. I want to follow you. Uh, thank you for, the, again, this story of Joseph. God, let him be an inspiration to us to not only hold our tongue, but to deal with our bitterness <clears throat> and use it for good. In Jesus' name, amen.